Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It is Friday, July 10th. We are less than two weeks away from Major League Baseball games that count. We're ramping up for the end of draft season 2.0. And to help us with that, we're bringing in one of my best friends in this industry, Howard Bender. You know him from Fantasy Alarm, and you've heard his voice all over SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. You also know him as the Gravy Boat. Howard, how's it going for you today? I'm doing real, real well, man. It's great to talk to both of you guys. I uh, I got to talk to to you, Derek, at the SiriusXM 10-year anniversary. Uh, Beller, I don't think we've spoken since uh, Tampa Bay. We're, we were in labor. Yeah. Is that what it I, was? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't in labor, but I was uh, there. I was in Tampa. Yeah, and that was probably the last time we saw each other. So this is great. I'm very happy to uh, get to see your face. We obviously didn't get to do Top Wars this year, so this is this is wonderful. Yeah, Very excited. I, I missed the, the live Tout Wars interactions. I mean, I, I kind of wrote about it a few weeks after it happened, like Foley's like just hanging out with everybody, getting a chance to see everybody, and you know, later finding out that Foley's is, is closed, at least at least for now, right? I mean, they, they may come back sometime in the future, but um, you know, it's just been a rough year for us as a community. But the thing about this season for me is as strange as it's gonna be, like I'm looking forward to catching up with my friends, even when it's on a Zoom call for a podcast or if it's a Zoom call for the drafts that we're going to do in the next couple of weeks. Like That's still the thing that can kind of lift us all up as we uh, keep moving through all of this. So it was great catching up with you on the uh, the SiriusXM 10-year anniversary show. Hard to believe that that channel is already 10 years old, Howard. I mean, that, that's an amazing development, really, for our industry. When it was new, there was nothing out there that had ever really been attempted like it before. And, you know, we've seen a few other... Uh, networks launch in the time since, but uh, just being along for that ride for a good portion of that while I was at Rotowire was was a blast. Yeah, and I I couldn't believe you when we were talking about the ten years, and I was trying to date back to to when it all really kind of began for me on Sirius, and I had been there on Sirius for like a good seven years. I mean, it started off. I mean, the first year and a half, uh, I think it was, was I was just strictly a, a guest of of yours. Uh, you and Jeff Erickson used to have me on to talk Royals baseball, uh, whatever other teams I was covering as a, as a beat writer for Rotowire. But, you know, I mean, the beginning of the, the Gravy Boat moniker, which came from you, uh, seven years old. I mean, I was just blown away by that. I just couldn't imagine, you know, the fact that, you know, I've been running the Fantasy Alarm show for almost four years now. And so it's it's amazing how it's how it's gone past. And, and I got to tell you, yeah, I love I love the Zoom calls. I love the catch up uh, with everybody because we, as an industry, we talk all the time via Twitter and social, other social media, uh, or whether it's doing guest spots on on podcasts. But you know, it's really it's basically it's tout, it's labor, it's the FSGA, and you know, and that's it. So, uh, very good chance to to get to spend more time with you guys. Absolutely. So let's start talking about some adjustments that you're making as we get closer to the start of the season. At least we hope we're getting closer. It seems like progress is actually being made on that front. Summer camp started just about a week ago now. Let's start with some players that you are interested in now that you weren't as interested in pre-shutdown. I mean, I think there's players that could come from a lot of different groups. It's guys maybe that are healthier. In some cases, it's prospects who are going to have a larger percentage of the season uh, taking on a prominent role for their respective clubs. But who are some of the players who have moved up your board the most since drafts really stopped back in March? 
I mean, it's it's really funny because I was kind of trying to dig deep, and you know, you're making strategy adjustments for the sixty game season. Um, have either of you guys ever felt so disconnected with what's going on in quote unquote spring training or summer camp, whatever, whatever is they're calling it right now? I mean, it is it's unbelievable how disconnected. I mean, this is like pre-internet days for me, where you know you were just desperate for uh, for for checking out some sort of a. Uh, you know, a uh, uh, USA Today that that gives you a broader scope uh, across the country. So, um, you know, I've just kind of been digging in a little bit here and there. Um, players, I mean, it's really kind of funny. You know, one player who I've, I've I've been out on for years and years and years, who I'm absolutely in on uh, right now is Rich Hill. Like Rich Hill, master of the blister, master of missing time. The dude's got to make ten starts, and you know how many times have we are all heard. With Rich Hill, oh man, if this guy ever put a full season together, you know, how great would that be? So, you know, I'm all of a sudden, I'm looking at Rich Hill, I'm looking at a lot of the uh, the uh, AL and NL Central teams uh, right now. So, you know, Hill pitching up, you know, against the Royals and the Tigers and the Pirates and, you know, I mean, that, and even the Cardinals to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sits on my radar, uh, Dustin May uh, and uh, and Ross Stripling. A uh, pair of arms who are going to end up being swingmen for the uh, for the Dodgers this year. Uh, they're on my radar more. And then injured guys, Eugenio Suarez had no interest in him with the shoulder issue. Uh, I, I figured, you know, for the price that you had to pay for him uh, to know that he was probably going to miss the first, you know, month of the season and then still have to try and work his way back. Uh, this has been huge for him. And Alberto Mondesi, uh, I know a lot of people are on him, but he had that same shoulder surgery that Gregory Polanco had. And Polanco tried to rush himself coming back, uh, you know, jumping into normal spring training for him, and he's never been the same. So to see Mondesi now actually get that extra time off that he probably needs, you know, him and Suarez are now, uh, you know, those those third, fourth-round targets that uh, I was once looking away from. And now it, it allows me to go for an ace within the first three rounds because I know that these are going to be my third, fourth, and fifth round targets. Yeah, I'm totally with you on Mondesi, a guy who I wanted no part of, considering there was really no discount, and you know there's going to be a ratio risk, no matter if you're talking batting average or OBP leagues. Uh, the steals were probably going to be there, but yeah, there was a risk there. I mean, if he's if his shoulder is compromised early in the season, if we started it back in March, then that was going to be a hard sell, but now sounds like everything's good with him, so totally buy him at that ADP. And uh, Rich Hill's a, a point well taken. Our pal, you know, Saris has been making the point that you made, Howard, about the AL and NL Central and just what a boost it's going to be for these teams getting to play Detroit, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh as often as they're going to get to play. And like you said, St. Louis, a team overall that could be a pretty good team, but an offense that doesn't necessarily jump out at you. Certainly the Cincinnati Reds get a boost by getting to play six games against the Tigers. Geographically, uh, the Major League Baseball matched up the Indians and Pirates as geographic rivals uh, just to keep their travel down. So now the Reds get those six games against the Tigers, which you got to love for guys like Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo. Bauer and Gray are two guys who fit that for me, that now that they're getting those extra Tigers games are uh, players I'm more interested in now than I was back then. And then I'm going to keep it in the AL Central too for someone I want to throw out there. How about Byron Buxton? 
a guy who uh, always has fallen short of our expectations, who has dealt with injury himself too. But this is going to be a season that is defined by outliers. You're going to uh, see a lot of league champions hit on a few of those guys who uh, just have their 99th percentile season happen to happen happen to come in this 60-game window. And if Byron Buxton has even just a 85th percentile season for what his skill set is, he could be a huge league-winning type of player. So he's a guy who I find myself a lot more interested in in a 60-game sprint rather than a 162-game season. Yeah, Buxton's definitely been a guy who, you know, you shy away from. I mean, he he puts it all out on the line on the field, which you have to respect, you have to love. Uh, You know, how many times have we seen him slam himself up against the wall? Um, Yeah, it's it's those guys, you know, who, uh, you know, who go all out, the dirt dogs, so to speak, who also put themselves... Uh, at a, at a greater risk, um, you know. It was, I always I always wish that you know Jason Kipnis was one of those guys who uh, never got banged up but always played all out. Like the mm-hmm. sixty game season would be absolutely perfect for him. So yeah, Buxton's definitely a guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, listen, the schedule imbalance, uh, you know, has really it's put me on to you know a lot more uh, NL you know, AL and NL Central players, uh, a lot more of the uh, the middle relievers also from. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the uh, the Western divisions there, because I think that's going to be a huge thing. You know, you look at at what the uh, what the Padres have built as far as their um, as far as their bullpen goes. I mean, their bullpen's ridiculous. And while yeah, I would have loved Emilio Pagan had he stayed with Tampa and had he gone to uh, you know work in the uh, the closer aspect. Uh, but now, yeah, all of a sudden he he becomes a a really strong guy with a strong K per nine. Uh, who's going to end up bridging the gap between, you know, starters and Yates. So uh, really digging on him as well as a uh, as an option. And then, you know what, Nick Anderson, that's another guy who I actually really like because I think that, that Kevin Cash is going to use Nick Anderson for an array of things. I mean, you could look at Nick Anderson and he could end up finishing this season with, you know, like eight wins and ten saves and, and, a, and a ridiculous, you know, set of ratios so that would be quite the year those bullpens are going to be great yeah I do think the overall usage of of relievers and even just some of the followers or sixth and seventh starters on some teams it's going to vary a lot and I think the thing you touched on a little earlier tracking news which you know you and I have done and Beller's done this for a long time too have all of us having spent time at Rotowire and you guys obviously have news at Fantasy Alarm like it's a grind anyway to stay on top of MLB news in a normal spring training, but then you add a pandemic on top of that and you add the fallout from that, not even just players being absent, but the varying levels of what players were able to do while they were away. Some players had a facility nearby they could have access to. Some players were close enough to a team facility they had access to. Some players had nothing. Some players went to a hardware store and built a mound and put that out in front of their driveway so they could throw. We saw some players you know, throwing bullpens with their wives catching. Like There were all sorts of, of variables, and as we get more and more information, we have some guys who are already at five or six innings. We have some guys who maybe are at two or three right now, so when we do get to opening day in a couple of weeks, those two to three inning guys right now are probably going to have 75 or 80 pitch restrictions, and maybe that even lasts for two starts or three starts. And we're talking about a year when the maximum number of starts someone could make is probably 13 with off days. If you're an ace, 12 for most, just dividing six by five. Workloads are going to be really important. So it's a long way of saying like the types of pitchers I'm interested in has changed a lot. And I think the other group really is that group of followers. Like Trevor Richards, who for some reason, the Marlins saw him as a starter or a short reliever. 
They never thought like, oh, hey, what if we just put this guy in for two or three innings and see if he can get six, seven, eight, or nine outs? I think the Rays are going to do that. I mean, if there's any team that you can trust with handling an unusual season, the Rays are it. I think the related question I have for you, is there any other organization or player type that's standing out a bit more to you as a result of the unique nature of this season? Just a, a situation that maybe wasn't as interesting to you earlier that has become more interesting to you, to you now. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the Dodgers, you know, that comes to mind right there when Dave Roberts says through the first, you know, couple of turns of the of the rotation that he's only looking at, at you know, sending his guys out for three or four innings, which again, like I said, Dustin May, Ross Stripling, uh, you know, those those turn out to be great. You know, it was so funny. It was uh I was so bummed that the uh, the Dodgers and the Angels canceled that trade that would have sent mm-hmm. Jock Peterson and uh, and Stripling to the Angels because I was like, wow, Stripling on the Angels could be a really nice you know back end of the rotation type guy. Well, now again, he's he's a guy who's going to end up going in there uh, multiple times a week, uh, throwing two three innings, uh, and and could end up uh, picking up a, a number of wins for you as well as uh, as you know raising some strikeouts. So. You know the Dodgers, how they're handling their uh, their staff right there is going to be uh, interesting as as well. Um, you know, and you're also you're you're looking around the rest of the league. I'm trying to think of of a really good example off the top of my head right now of uh, you know platoon situations, which aren't going to be platoon situations anymore. Like I'm hearing uh, I'm hearing out of St. Louis that uh, that that you know Tyler O'Neill, Dexter Fowler, and um, Oh, who's the third knucklehead there? Carlson? No, it's Bader. actually not Carlson, ba- which is Edmund? bums me out the most. Tommy Edmund, Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader, that was that was the name there. So it looks like right now they're going to structure their uh, outfield with Bader, Fowler, and uh, and and O'Neill instead of Dylan Carlson, and that's you know that that's something that you have to pay attention to. All these you know prospects who we thought were going to end up getting the time or the opportunity to start. I mean, I'm not talking like Carter Kaboom, who's going to be the third baseman for the Nats, uh, but, you know, different situations where you were like, how how in the world is Dexter Fowler going to even be in somebody's starting lineup? You just can't possibly see that. Well, now for this season, you know, the team might as well get their money's worth out of him, get him in there, have the veteran presence, and not start the clock on, on Dylan Carlson uh, like we thought they would. So, you know, when you start looking at situations like that, you know, you worry. Are the Angels going to go with uh, with Brian Goodwin the whole way and keep Joe Adele down? Um, and that's, you know, uh, probably players who I was interested in earlier when we were do- when we back when we were drafting the FSGA or, or, <laughs> or labor players who I was like, oh, yeah, give me, give me, give me, give me. And now I'm like, mm, no, thank you. Yeah, I gotta believe that the Cardinals are going to be one of the teams that uses the DH uh, to their advantage, at least in terms of cycling ABs around to other guys. I was talking with our beat writer Mark Saxon, who covers the Cardinals, um, and he made an interesting point about the fact that he doesn't think any NL team is really that equipped to fully take advantage uh, of the DH. The DH obviously is an opportunity to get a really big bat in there, and these NL teams just. Uh, really haven't been built for it, with the exception of maybe a handful of teams. I think the Reds are one that jumps out that really attack the hitter market aggressively, and maybe they're built to have a DH in their lineup. I do think the Cardinals are one that can at least cycle through some guys. I would imagine Matt Carpenter is sort of the default DH for them, but got to believe they use that to get 
at-bats or at least playing time for Carlson, Edmund, really every single guy in that lineup. Um, you know, someone who uh, who jumps out to me in this discussion, or a team, I mean, uh, Derek, you know, you bring up organizations, and we've talked about them quite a bit, is the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, this is a year where I really want to turn into what this season's going to be, lean into the skid, and trust teams that are what we think are smart and equipped to handle a 60-game sprint of a season. And the Reds feel like they are with uh, with that rotation depth, especially at the top, Castillo, Gray, Bauer, uh, with having a guy like Tyler Molly who can you know slide into the rotation, although they say he's not going to, at least to start the season. Uh, a guy who can go a few innings. Uh, it's a bullpen that I like uh, up and down, really, and a team that I like up and down. So I think it's a good year to trust organizations. Bender, you also mentioned the Padres a little earlier, another one that I think is a team that you should try to find some investment in. So that's something that I'm going to be doing, looking at teams more and looking at team context more than I would in a typical 162-game season. I do wonder, though, the players that we're not quite so interested in any longer, uh, guys that we liked back in March we don't necessarily like in a 60-game season. And for me, the one class of guys who stands out are the pitchers who are accumulators. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, I think, is a great job, a great example of this. Someone who you can pretty much trust the ratio, but he really gets his value by having those ratios over 180 plus innings and having those innings stand out and being able to stay at, you know, mid threes ERA, uh, a one one five or so whip over 180 innings and have that push him to his best season. I don't know if there's going to be that much innings differentiation this season, and that makes me less interested in him, less interested in a guy like Mike Soroka, and guys like that, that class of pitchers, I find myself staying away from. Uh, How about you, Bender? Anyone that you're staying away from now that you weren't necessarily staying away from back in March? I mean, there are a lot of players. You know, as far as pitching goes, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely looking looking less and less at, you know, the back ends of the rotations, uh, guys who I think could be easily replaced or just easily removed from games. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you what, you, the, the biggest name in the world uh, who I took number one overall in the FSGA, and if I were drafting right now and I had that, you know, a top three pick, I don't know if I would actually take him, and that's Mike Trout. I mean, you know, one of the things that makes me really nervous about the baseball season right now is, you know, we're seeing a lot of the guys opt out. And we're seeing, you know, for the, the, the variety of reasons. And knowing that Mike Trout, uh, the type of guy he is, the fact that uh, he, um, you know, his wife is pregnant. She's due in August. He's a, he's definitely a family guy. I mean, this is, you know, I, I feel like I think this is his high school sweetheart. So, you know, they've been together forever. He's not going to want her to go, go through this alone. And, you know, so who's to say that all of a sudden we don't lose Mike Trout for, you know, two, three weeks in, in the month of August? You know, to use that kind of draft capital on on somebody like that makes me ridiculously nervous. So Trout is a guy who, you know, and I even adjusted my rankings over at Fantasy Alarm. I put Yelich right there uh, at the top at number one. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm still kind of looking at, uh, at, you know, guys like, you know, Yelich and Mookie Betts and even possibly Cody Bellinger over Trout, just knowing that you have that potential of losing too substantial a, a point of the season. So He's a guy I'm out on. A lot of the rookies who, you know, we talked, we just said Dylan Carlson, Wander Franco. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're, he's, he's on the on the, the roster, on the 60-man roster, but um, I've heard out of uh, Tampa Bay that he's probably not going to see, you know, the field at all in a regular game, but it's good for him to get this work with the, uh, with the big club uh, on a regular basis for practices. So uh, those two guys. And then 
the big bopper. The guy who I was so pumped up about, was so excited to have uh, big Fran Mill Reyes. Uh, and that oh, dude, that no, dude, you can't jump off the Fran Mill train. Dude, that dude is a clown right now. Do you see <laughs> him, like, posting I stuff? Do. There's no mask. He's partying like a rock star. Terry yes. Francona had to send him home. Francona yes. was like, get out of here. You're absolutely <laughs> driving us nuts. And, I mean, so, so the maturity level there... Um, absolutely tears me up because, I mean, this was a guy, this is a guy, Fran Mil Reyes is a guy who in a 60-game season could really, really get you off to, like, a crazy hot start. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look for the guys who in the first month of the season can pop a dozen home runs, uh, you know, and really get you off to a, a great place. Fran Mil Reyes is that type of guy. He's that type of a streaky hitter, and so... While, while pitchers are still adjusting to the start of the season, you'd think that he would be able to do it. But, I mean, if this guy does not get his head straight, um, I could actually see the, the Indians turning around given the, you know, the, the chance, the opportunity they have to really sprint to a championship this year, especially with the way the schedule is aligned. Uh, I, I think that they would rather just say, you know what, take the year off. Go, go sit out. We'll put somebody else in. Uh, who's not going to infect the rest of our team. I really hadn't thought about that, and I hadn't seen the, the news updates on, on Reyes, so I was just kind of scanning those while you were talking, and it's uh, it's unbelievable. There was a quote from Andrew Heaney just the other day. Our Angels beat writer, Fabian Ardaya, had it, and Heaney basically said, we've all agreed not to go to bars, not to go out, not to do anything. We're going to wear a mask if we go anywhere that's not in our homes or in our cars, basically. And that's the sort of buy-in teams need from everybody in order to stay as healthy as possible. So I hadn't even thought about this as a possibility, but if you have a guy who's really just struggling, if you if you catch wind that he is going out, he's going to parties, he's going to the clubs, I think teams are going to be pretty quick to like option guys to the alternative camp or to just like get them out of the equation as quickly as possible, which is yet another little twist that we could have uh, on this season. But I'm bummed that this surfaced with Reyes because I was quietly steering away from him. I think his price got just a little bit too high. Like He's got great raw power potential. Obviously, the lineup is good, so the run production is going to be there. But if you said you can have Fran Mil Reyes at pick 90 or pick 100, or you can have Kyle Schwarber 20 or 30 picks later, I'm taking Schwarber at the discount and taking someone else where I'm getting Reyes uh, every single time. You know, the other guy, like the Trout thing's interesting, and Zach Wheeler's the other situation. Mm-hmm. His wife's also expected to, to give birth, I think, sooner to this, uh, closer to the start of the season. What makes that situation complicated is that he has not confirmed that he intends to come back just yet. He's not sure, like, if once he's gone, he's actually going to return to the team. If he's going to leave after a start or two starts, like, you can't draft Zach Wheeler right now. I'd, and this isn't judgment against the guy for making that choice. I completely understand where everyone's coming from if they're staying away or leaving and not coming back for the season. Totally get it. But that's just really important to account for. For a guy that I liked as like a top 25, top 30 starting pitcher prior to any of, of this news kind of coming to light. Yeah, you know, you're seeing all the reports there. Buster Posey's another one who's uh, still he still hasn't reported to camp. Uh, they're calling it a personal issue, but you know Posey's been one of those guys who's you know extremely uh, vocal about the fact that he is legit on the fence. And I and I, you know here's the here's the thing is that you know as we inch closer and closer to the start of the season, 
I feel like all it's going to take is for one marquee name to turn around and say, you know what? This isn't going to happen for me. I'm too concerned about this. Uh, and it's just something that I don't want to do. Uh, I don't want to put myself at risk. I don't want to put my family at risk. And that once that, that one domino falls, I think we could end up seeing, like if Mike Trout turns around and says, you know what? This just isn't worth it to me. Um, you know, I'll forego my salary, but family first. And, and this is what's more important to me. Uh, and then once everybody else starts seeing the big faces and the big names start opting out, I think that we could end up seeing this. So, you know, get your uh, get your minor league scouting reports ready to go. Right. Because, you know, you got to find your, your your double and your triple A hitters, uh, maybe a couple of double A pitchers who uh, who might make an impact because, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm genuinely nervous uh, about that. You know, when you sit there and you look through drafts and I'm still, I'm trying to do a couple of mock drafts here and there uh, and, and trying to figure it out um, and, and avoid names who I so far have said, you know, who have just shown to be on the fence with regard to that, because you just, you have no idea when the rug could get just pulled out from under you. uh, And all of a sudden, you know, five of your, uh, of your first 10 draft picks, uh, are, are two weeks and out because they just don't want to deal. And we talk a lot about teams and the league itself doing new things this year, trying some stuff out, using this almost as a laboratory season of sorts and seeing what works and what doesn't, and this being the right sort of proving ground for those sorts of things because you're not compromising a normal season. And I think that's a good thing for fantasy owners and fantasy leagues to take as well. I know we're doing some in some of my leagues, making some tweaks and just trying some things out to see if it's fun. And, you know, if it isn't, then so be it. But uh, it's definitely a season to try that. Are you finding that in any of your leagues or are there things you think people should try to spice this season up? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's really kind of interesting as far as that goes, the, the home leagues that I'm in, the majority of them are, are keeper and dynasty leagues. Mm-hmm. And uh, even before the pandemic, we had to submit protects, uh, for the season, and then we were waiting to see how the uh, how the draft went. Uh, what we ended up doing uh, in one league that we did submit our protects for, uh, what we did was we gave everybody uh, a, a a 36 hour window to take back your protects. Uh, you know, anybody on your team who you didn't want to protect and uh, and and change that around. We just kind of gave that that short window there, but. You know, for the most part, the the leagues that I'm in have been so straightforward and, and, you know, everybody's obviously disgruntled about it. But, you know, they're like, well, we can just do the same thing. It's a roto league. You know, I don't play, you know, the the head to heads that I do play and all end up uh, being industry leagues. And most of those end up kind of getting canceled just because of the the head to head format. So but there's one league that I'm actually in. It's a uh, it's a keeper league. You keep players for up to three years You can keep. Uh, 10 players off of a 30-man roster for up to three years. Uh, and then once that uh, once that three-year period happens, everybody goes back into the player pool. So it just so happened that this was the, uh, the year that we were just going to be throwing everybody back in uh, and then redrafting uh, and then starting off a, another three years. But we all agreed that none of us wanted to draft in that fashion uh, for this season and knowing that, you know, we still had mm-hmm. the keepers for the next two years. So, you know, we knew we were structuring it out. So what we did was we actually took a page out of Tout Wars and we just, we turned this league into a, uh, into a DFS league. It's just, it's like Tout Daily 
where we all just we you know we set it all up as a uh, you know put the same amount in for our uh, our entry fee, um, and then it's just a matter of just accumulating DFS points that way, and we're just going to keep a running tally uh, for that league over the course of the time, and then next year we can then start again fresh. Uh, for the beginning of our three years. So, I mean, that's really, that's that's probably been the biggest change that any of my home leagues have done uh, just to avoid having to start off the, the keeper format uh, in a season like this. Yeah, I, I've still come into questions in the last couple of days about one of the keeper leagues that I'm the commissioner for. Like, do I lower the threshold to qualify at a position for next season? You know, do you just divide it to even it out for a 60 game season if the threshold was 20 games played over 162 do you knock that down to eight or something for for a 60 game season I mean these are the random types of things that have come to my mind I I do like the the DFS weekly contest that turns into a season-long league like Talc Wars has done I think people that haven't tried that yet should absolutely consider it this year you don't have to scrap your league to do it either it's just another way to play you know, once a week, you get to do something that's kind of unique. You get some players you may have missed out on. And we should know a lot more in the couple hours prior to game time every day than we do uh, every week. We're trying to do fab and, and waivers for uh, for season-long leagues as well. So I think it removes some of the, the uncertainty that we're going to have in we're actually doing leagues. it. We're actually doing it daily. We're we, we're, going, oh, we're doing every day. We're going every Whoa. day. We're like, it's, it's a 60-game season. Like, we're so wow. used to the 162-game marathon that we're like, no way are we going to do this week. Let's just, boom, bang <laughs> it out daily. If you can't say – I mean, it's a daily roster move league anyway. So yeah, sure. if like all, if you if you miss a day, so be it. You miss a day. But, I mean, that's that's the way it goes. And, uh, you know, if, if you can't set your lineup for a particular day, uh, then, you know, then you take a zero. So that's just going to, like, start firing everybody up to make sure that they yeah. catch everything – uh, each day, or at the at the least, set up you know set a proxy up and be like, dude, do me a favor, set my DraftKings lineup for me today. I I, I got to go mow the lawn. <laughs> I wonder if I'll if I'll play more DFS this year. Like if I end up having fewer season long teams, mm-hmm. if I'll end up offsetting that spending with DFS or how that that might work. I mean, it's just strange having the season start up as NFL training camps uh, are right. getting underway. Uh, so we talked about some players that you like more now. We've got some guys that you don't like as much. Are there any new strategies that you're trying out with the shortened season, with these unique conditions? I mean, it seems like everybody puts a premium on speed, so maybe you could zig where everyone else zags and say, forget it, I'm not going to worry about speed the first couple of rounds. I'll get my speed later. Or uh, going heavier with aces early on. Is there any sort of tactical adjustment you've been trying to make for your for your leagues? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm actually in the... Uh in the market of, of punting for the very first time. And it's just like you said, I'm in the market for punting speed. You know, you, you look at, at who the, who the base stealers are now. Yeah. You know, you can, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to totally punt it because you know, you get a guy like an Austin Meadows, or you get a guy like Trevor story, they're going to steal bags for you, but it's, it's not going to be uh, as, as major a focus. I'm really, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on, uh, on batting average OBP, uh, and power numbers as early as I can. Uh, I'm going to focus on uh, an ace or two really early on, and I really, ha- you know, I, I, I've tend to to always been the the guy who, you know, not punts pitching, so to, you know, punt getting aces, so to speak. But you know, it's never been a huge priority of mine. But you know, for this year, I think if you have that anchor, 
who's going to make 12 or 13 starts. You can get two of those guys who are going to, you know, do that. And then you build the rest with, you know, your middle relievers and your closers. You know, I, I think that's kind of the way I'm going to go. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm basically looking at it as, uh, as, as punting wins and punting speed uh, this season. You know, I mean, I figure if I can get high K per nine middle relievers and closers, uh, I can, you know, I can get saves. I can get the ratios in there. Uh, strikeouts from those one or two aces to keep myself competitive, um, but not worry about where I'm going to get wins from or, you know, if, if my stolen bases aren't going to, uh, you know, be, you know, top of the line, if they're going to end up being middle of the pack. Give me those big boppers. Give me the guys that, you know, are, are projected over a full season uh, to be those 30 home run guys because those are the guys I'm looking for the most. I want to run this strategy by you. I talked about it with DVR I think, last week on this show, and it's something that, as I thought about more, I really want to try this season. Again, use it as a laboratory. Have some fun with it. We talk about stacking in DFS all the time, right? And it's a viable strategy, especially if you hit, of course. Uh, but I, I think I want to try it in season long because, again, I think it's going to be those outlier guys who end up winning you a league. Well, how about an outlier team? especially one that you can stack affordably. So I'm going to go back to one team I've mentioned quite a bit here, the Reds. I think you could certainly stack a Eugenio Suarez, Nick Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, even Joey Votto late, right? Get all those guys together. Or the Chicago White Sox, Yoan Moncada, Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Jose Abreu. Those are great players in potentially great offenses. They got, they both get that central bonus where we're going to see, where we think there's going to be, uh, you know, some lighter competition rather than what we're going to see in the East and in the West, and what if these teams, uh, what if one of these teams, you know, hits their 99th percentile and goes 35 and 25 or 38 and 22, and it's based on what could be a really strong offense? It's a strategy that I'm committed to trying, and I wonder if you think that's viable. I definitely think it's viable. It's so funny. We talk about the Reds. Um, they've been a, a team that I've been drafting ridiculously heavily uh, even before this whole thing, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Castellanos over there with Moustakis, who qualifies at second and third, uh, you know, to pair them up. And now that I'm back on the uh, the Suarez train, uh, I think that's a, a fantastic spot. Um, you know, there I, I look at teams who, you know, not not so much uh, long shot odds, but, you know, middle of the road odds to to win the uh, their leagues, their respective leagues or uh, to win the World Series. And, uh, and I, and I go through that, you know, and I, that those are the teams I'm fishing off of. So, you know, I'm looking at Milwaukee, I'm looking at, uh, Cincinnati, I'm looking at the Oakland A's. I mean, you know, throw down, you know, some, some Marcus Simeon, some Matt Chapman and some Matt Olson. Yeah, uh, I mean, that right there is a, is a phenomenal stack to, you know, to really just gear your offense up. And again, without concern really about what the speed looks like. You know, to have those three bats in there, especially when you know that there's a favorable schedule. I mean, God, you know, Olsen, Chapman, and uh, and Semyon, uh, you know, playing in Colorado. Oh man, I mean, that's just like you know, that's that's super tasty, uh, and and I want to do that. Uh, to the contrary, I'm I'm actually off, you know, stacking like the Yankees. Um, as much as I love, you know, Aaron Judge and, and Giancarlo Stanton and the discount that you can get them on, uh, you look at what the, uh, the the East pitching looks like. You got the Nationals rotation. You've got guys like DeGrom, Nola, um, you know, from, uh, I'm trying to think, of, oh, Soroka. 
uh, over for Atlanta. Like all of a sudden, there it's Tampa's like, rotation. Tampa, Tampa, <laughs> Tampa yeah. pitching in general. Yeah. Um. You know. So all of a sudden, so I've I've avoided that. But I mean, it's really funny. Yeah, stacking in uh, in seasonal for this case. Uh, there's definitely a, an argument to be made for it. And yeah, it's those central teams stack twins. You, you know, you can, these are guys you can all get, uh, at a very, very, you know, reasonable price. I mean, you want to talk Buxton, you want to talk Jorge Polanco, you want to talk Eddie Rosario, Nelson Cruz. I mean, how many people are not going to want to draft Nelson Cruz because of his DH only status and, and he sits in your utility, but I, I'm sorry, man, I'll take that in the middle of my lineup any day. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting ways to go about it if you want to try stacking. And we were talking about it briefly last week. I think it makes a lot of sense. If you're going to play any sort of league with an overall prize component, uh, so if you're playing Roadwire Online Championship at NFBC, that's the 12-teamer. If you're bold enough to try it in the main event, it could be a combination of players that really stands out as unique too. So if you're right with your evaluation and uh, it goes off, you're positioned very well for a run at a really big payout. Let's uh, let's go to one more baseball question before we get to uh, a toss-up that I think is going to put you on tilt. If you had to <laughs> bet on an already good player turning himself into a first-rounder for 2021, who would that be? Oh, who gets to showcase the uh, the, the talent this year? Um, listen, I think I think Mike Clevenger can put himself into a spot where. Uh, you know, he becomes a, a tail end of the first round pick automatically. I mean, the strikeout rate for him, the ability, and, and I mean, you know, the numbers are going to obviously be juiced with, uh, with, with central opponents. So Clevenger's a guy, um, I even think, listen, I even think Suarez could be, uh, one of those guys who all of a sudden people start looking, you know, like we look at Nolan Arenado because of the, uh, the favorable ballpark and the 40 home run power. If Suarez is really you know, good to go, then then I think that's the case. Now, you want to talk about potential fool's gold uh, that could get sucked into that first round. Like, you remember when, you know, Trey Turner uh, made his debut and everybody's like, oh, man, you got to prorate those numbers. Look at that. Dude's going to mash 30 home runs. He's going to steal 70 bases next year. And and he was like a, like a, like a top eight pick uh, a couple of years ago. I think we could be seeing that from uh, Lewis Robert in, uh, in Chicago. I think that he's... Got that power-speed combo that if everything breaks right for him and he starts uh, doing some leadoff work, uh, you know, I think people are going to look at the season that he puts together and say, well, you got to prorate those numbers. And all of a sudden, you know, when speed is at a premium. So like him and Fernando Tatis Jr., um, you know, and Tatis Jr. is going in like the second round in most leagues anyway. I mean, that's that's a bump up into the first round as well, uh, especially if he, you know, really increases that speed component. Can we all answer this? Because I've got a stock answer that I would – I wish I could – Like, I mean, I guess there are ways I could find a way to bet on it, maybe an MVP bet or something like that. Uh, Keston Hira. Keston Hira is going to be considered a first-round pick in 2021. I mean, look at what the dude did last year in his first year in the majors, right? I mean, just an absolutely ridiculous season. 303, 368, 570, 19 homers, stole nine bags, 23 doubles in about half a season, and did this after hitting 329, 407, 681 
at the AAA level last season with 19 homers in 243 plate appearances, has that first-round pedigree, the ninth overall pick in the draft in 2017, has basically never struggled at any point in his life playing baseball. I'm willing to bet like eight-year-old Keston Hira had no trouble (laughs) whatsoever. This is a guy who has never struggled on a baseball field, and I totally buy it, even with the swing and miss in the profile. Uh, It's probably your guy too, DVR, but I think Keston Hira, we're going to be talking about him as a no-doubt-about-it first round pick in 2021 yeah I think he's got the the tools to pull that off and part of that for me is that the hit tool is so good that the K rate to me is likely to come down and with that I mean the sky is the limit because he was able to do a lot striking out almost 30 percent of the time in his debut last year you know the guy that I think everybody in the fantasy community kind of broadly is assuming could make this leap is probably Bo Bichette I think he's Mm -hmm. almost universally loved where he goes for the reason that I think people see a lot of growth potential in him. Uh, I'm kind of curious, Howard, what do you think about Bo Bichette? Like, he's going around pick 45 here in July in the handful of NFBC drafts that have happened. So that makes him an early fourth-rounder and a 12-teamer, actually a late fourth-rounder and a 12-teamer, uh, and then kind of a, yeah, it's like a pick and a third-round sort of pick, I guess, in a 15-teamer. I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, the speed component really kind of elevates, you know, that um, I, I'm, I'm worried about the baby Jays in, in, a, in a short season, especially with, uh, you know, issues in Toronto and, and how I mean, that could that could turn on a dime where uh, where the Canadian government's like, well, we've made this exception here. But if they do start to see some sort of a spike uh, in that in that vicinity, I mean, I could genuinely see the, the country kind of shutting it down or mandating that, you know, they, they, you know, do something else with it. So, you know, when you're looking at, at this team, which, you know, it's Bichette and it's Biggio and it's, it's Vladdy Jr. Um, and these guys all coming together. Um, you know, I, I worry that the, the shortened season and the unrest that you do have in Toronto uh, might just delay it a little bit. I mean, listen, I think that, that Bichette and, and, uh, and Vladdy Jr. And, and Biggio can all three blossom, uh, over the course of a few seasons to really, you know, become that, that core for Toronto. But I, you know, I just, I worry about it, uh, you know, this year right now to see if that's, uh, if that's actually going to be the case. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm almost more optimistic about Vlad Jr. going crazy this year than Bichette. Like I, I, I don't have any case against Bo Bichette. I think there are a few small flaws that people maybe have overlooked. Just look at his slash line. I mean, I don't think he's a, a star, like, first-round talent. Yeah, but kind of like Keston here, I also expect him to get better. Whereas Vlad Jr., I mean, some of the projections that we saw a year ago for him steered him toward being an early rounder. He's pretty affordable for a guy that we collectively loved this time last year. So I guess my pick, if I'm not going to take Hira, is actually probably Vlad Jr., to uh, jump up into the first round. It wouldn't have been a surprise if he'd done it last year, so I'm <laughs> yeah. not not backing down from where we all used to be. Uh, Can I so throw Howard... out one, one more, actually? Yeah, one definitely. more, and that's uh, Jordan Alvarez. Um, you know, the the interesting thing for, uh, for him, I mean, obviously, you know, the hit tool is definitely there. Uh, he's got great power, but let's face it, the Astros are getting off super easy right now um, with no fans in the stadium. Like, they are not going to be... You know, you, you worry about, you know, with all the health and safety protocols that, that opposing pitchers 
uh, aren't going to be targeting hitters on Houston uh, as much as we thought it was. And it's really kind of died down. But, you know, to know that this, you know, young up and comer uh, who was really never big, you know, he was never a part of the scandal, so to speak, um, is now going to be able to play without, you know, tens of thousands of people uh, calling him a cheater and, and every other name in the book. So I think, you know, if you want to talk about somebody who's got the potential to develop, uh, you know, in this in this uh, environment, uh, I think he's definitely somebody who can take that next step as well. Yeah, I mean, the overall offensive value we saw from Alvarez after the call-up last year was like a Mike Trout sort of level of output. Like you just don't see many players get to that level, especially in their first exposure to big league pitching. Howard, I got one toss-up for you. We, we usually ask our guests a, a toss-up question that kind of falls into an area of expertise. And uh, I remember one year we were in Vegas for a Rotowire trip, and uh, we were riding back from, I think it was Lotus of Siam, or you know one of the great places we go when we're there. And we were talking about baseball movies, and you were taken aback that at that time, this is probably five years ago, if not longer, uh, that I had not seen Bull Durham yet. So I watched Bull Durham, and I just didn't love it the way that most baseball people love that movie. So I'm going to put it to you as a toss-up. Bull Durham versus Major League. Which one is actually the better baseball movie? Oh, man. I mean, if you're just looking for... Ah, I mean that's a tough one there. I mean, how do you how do you go against Major League? That's you know that's the team rallying around itself. The characters, uh, you know, Bull Durham. It's it's so focused on Crash Davis and and Nuke Lelouch that you don't get as much on the uh, on the fringe characters. I mean, you know, you get Jimmy, the little you know the little guy who marries Millie at the end of the at the end of the movie, but you don't really have that you know that that sense. So I I crazy enough will go with major league just because of the way they really they developed all the characters i mean you had serrano you had jake taylor you had willie mays hayes uh even roger dorn you know i mean yes ricky wild thing vaughn um who was the um uh the the old pitcher the guy who was like you know he's like had his shirt off he's like bardall vaseline Uh vagisil yeah ed harris ed harris that like I mean, so from a baseball standpoint, the way they developed that whole, uh, that team chemistry, that team camaraderie, uh, and then they continuously kept going back to the same fans, uh, the the guys in the bar watching the games together, uh, you know, like the, the straight-laced dude and the punk rocker. So I, I'll, I'll take Major League in the toss-up here, but... You know, come on, man, Bull Durham. How do you how do you not get Bull Durham? How do you not see it? It's it's fine. It's just it's, it's not. It, it's it's kind of like so. I, I watched Field of Dreams as a kid, and then I watched it again as an adult, and I feel like it's in the same tier as Field of Dreams. It's a it's better than Field of Dreams, but it's not miles better. Like Major League in Sandlot, and let's see what else did I put in that top tier? I think a League of Their Own is probably in that tier above. Bull Durham as well. A, a League of Their Own, I think, holds up very well for a movie from that era. Like Some movies from the 80s just are terrible as you watch them now. Like I, Whereas I think Field of Dreams like came down, A League of Their Own actually plays up. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when you when you look at like the style of movie, you know, and you can you can even throw the natural in there as well, along with like Bull Durham, where it's it's you know the ba- baseball is the theme, but really the sport is kind of secondary to what the main story is, you know, and you, and it's kind of like that in Bull Durham as well as you're you know tracking uh, the the rise of a rookie with a, a you know a veteran who's you know on his way out. Uh, and, you know, in that kind of lifestyle in, in that sense. And then, you know, you look at something like The Natural, where it's about his rise and his personal demons, uh, but it all takes place on the baseball field um, as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I could see where you're going with that. Um, yeah, A League of Their Own has to probably be one of the more underrated movies. I don't know, you know, what it, what what the whole uh you know the issue is like how it doesn't maybe it's because it's a it's women's baseball but I'm sorry man you want to talk about quotes from that movie I mean that's just that's always the best I mean how many times have I turned around and said Marla Hooch what a hitter <laughs> <laughs> Yeah yeah Major League is just eminently quotable too that's my favorite baseball movie of all time personally that's I just, mean, I mean, you can go, you can go, you can go a whole day with just talking major league quotes. Harry, oh, Harry guess. Doyle alone. I mean, and, and there's so much more in the movie than yeah. than Doyle. So there's a ton to like there. Well, a much more civil uh, toss up than I expected. I thought you were going to go to the mat a little harder for for Bull Durham uh, based on the previous conversations we had. But uh, Howard, thanks for making some time with us today, and uh, we really enjoyed catching up with you. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find your work, and when they can listen to your radio show. Um, okay, so uh, you can find me all over the pages at fantasyalarm.com. Baseball, football, uh, you know, I, I run the gamut over there. Um, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. That's our new time. You guys can tune in and uh, listen over there. And you can also find uh, Fantasy Baseball articles uh, every weekend at the New York Post. Nice. And you can find Howard on Twitter at RotoBuzzGuy as well. That is going to do it for today's episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, don't know what you're waiting for, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash podcast For Michael Beller and Howard Bender, I'm Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you.